Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Fine Asia, Coast of Mansion, a podcast, and the host of the Source Fine Asia YouTube channel, of course. Back with another one. Still in Manila. I'm in my last week in Manila. I'm very sad, sad to leave. Um, but, you know, I've got to get back to business in China. I've got a few things that I have to take care of uh, for the next couple of weeks. And, of course, the Canton Fair is coming up, so it's going to be quite busy with the cross-border summit as well. Um, I've got a, a few things that I'm doing peripherally around that. Um, I apologize if you can hear the fan in the background. I, I have a fan going on right now and it's really hot. So um, this episode was interesting. Uh, I had the chance to sit down with John's Hyons Slemmer. He's a Dutch entrepreneur. He's the founder or co-founder of Red Star Consultants. Um, they basically help companies with digital marketing services in China. So uh, we talk about it a lot in the podcast, but there's like, if you want to create a Chinese website, for example, there's like a license you have to get. There's like all these steps, um, just the process of, if you want to have a, an official WeChat account, like there's just a lot of things that you have to do in China. It's not the same as running, a, creating a website in the West or anything like that. There's as, as, China usually is if you want to go down the proper official route of doing things you're going to have some issues you're going to you're going to have to jump through some hoops so he provides uh, services around that um, a big part of the reason the main reason why I reached out to him in the first place is because he's actually the new host of the China Business Cast and if any of you guys have followed my story and stuff like that like I've been on the China Business Cast before I've been on Global from Asia a couple of times but the China Business Cast is the first podcast I started listening to um, about business in China. Like when I was in Toronto, like I probably found that podcast in 2013 and I moved out to China in 2014. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> at the time it was being run by this guy called JP, who was actually from Toronto. I actually reached out to him. I don't usually do things like that, but like I reached out to him and I was like, man, I really love the podcast. I'm from Toronto. I should find that email if I could. But I was like, I really love the podcast. I'm from Toronto. Thinking about moving to China. Like, you know, I really love what you're doing and all that stuff. And he replied to me. He's very encouraging, very nice guy. Um, but it, he wasn't very consistent. Like, I really loved the content, um, but the podcast wasn't very consistent. And then I found Global From Asia. But Global From Asia was more like... It was more about banking. And at the time, I had no idea what the fuck was going on in terms of finance and banking in Hong Kong. Like, I just had no perception whatsoever because I didn't have a fucking business. Um, and I was in Toronto. I was like, I had, you know. So I, it was good because he did have, like, sourcing people from time to time and manufacturing people. And, you know, it was it was an interesting take. But, like, China Business Cast was very China-centric. And that's all I was thinking about. Um, so uh, whereas Global For Major was a little bit more Hong Kong centric. And then, of course, Michael McElhinney and Shlomo took over uh, the China Business Cast. Actually, uh, a big part of the reason why we started the Made in China podcast is because there was that drop off when JP stopped releasing episodes. And I realized, you know, there was this area that was underserved in terms of specific podcasts about business in China. Um, and then, of course, McElhinney and Shlomo picked it up again. And they had a good run for a couple of years and then they sold it to Jans Slemmer, who is one of their listeners. And he basically had the same reaction that I did when they stopped releasing episodes for a while. He reached out to them and said, hey, you know, what's going on? And, uh, you know, they ended up having that discussion and then he, he took over the podcast. So, yeah, we had a 
nice little discussion um, about the, the China business cast and then what he's done with his company. He's a very interesting guy, um, very smart guy, lots of experience um, in China and, and business as a whole. So without further ado, enjoy the podcast. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. When you meet somebody in a social setting and they ask you the question, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Well, for me, that is, um, I have so many different hats. So it really depends on the context um, I'm, I'm in on, on what answer I provide. But in general, I'm, I'm a digital guy. So I've always been an online person. From back when I was in the Netherlands, I was a digital entrepreneur. And here in China, I do the same thing. So basically, I tell them, I help foreign businesses get started and growing on, on the Chinese internet through a range of our, of our things that we do. But that's, that's a quick summary. So specifically, uh, your company, Red Star Consulting, you started that, yeah. I believe, in 2008 while you were still in the Netherlands? Uh, that, that was like the precursor. So um, in Netherlands, I started a digital agency and we were doing a lot of web development portals uh, for medium and large scale customers. I, in the end, I did that for about nine years. And in 2014, I, or 2013, I decided to relocate to China. Um, I've been coming to China since 2007 already. And I just wanted to, to be here on the ground and not just visit every year. So really um, engage more and, and get more of an understanding of the market. So my original um, business sort of, migrated into what it is now. So in 2014, I moved over after making the decision in 2013. And in 2016, I, I rebranded to Red Star what it is now and we moved the business entity from the Netherlands to Hong Kong and into China. So the, the, it took a little bit of time to get that all going. But yeah, now the focus is fully on, on Red Star. Okay. So, I mean, obviously we're going to, I have a lot of questions around uh, what you do specifically with your business, but you said you were coming to China every year. Was it just, was it for business or you were just coming on vacation and you were very interested in the country? What made you actually decide, I want to, I, I want to jump and take the leap and move to China? Yeah, it was the second part. So I, I wasn't coming for business. Um, I was not doing any business uh, with China um, at that time, so like the 2007 to, to 2014 or something, I was just coming here for, for travel, for, for a holiday, and just experiencing the country through, through that lens. But I was like really invigorating. It's like so different from what I was used to. And then in 2013, I felt it was time and or also had a moment in my life, um, some changes happened. That was a good time to start preparing for that. In 2014, I made uh, the full jump to relocate and, and settle down here in China. And did you move to Chengdu immediately or did you touch base in another, another city first? Yeah, so I, I've been always in Chengdu since 2007. The first time I came, that was already Sichuan province uh, in mm. Chengdu. And I just, this is my place. Over the years, I've traveled. I've been to all the other 
big cities uh, in the south, in the north, in Beijing, Shanghai, Hangzhou. Um, but Sichuan, and what for me is, is really the, the proximity to the mountains. I'm from the Netherlands, which is very flat, right? But I've, I've been in Europe. I've, I've seen the Alps. But the mountains here are so much, so much more. And that, that is one of the things together with the, the proximity to the Tibetan culture and just the lifestyle here in Chengdu that really captured my attention and wants to, to relocate here. It's really interesting because it's like, as we were talking about before we started the podcast, it's like most expats uh, who are doing business in China, they move to Shenzhen or Guangzhou, Shanghai, Beijing. So whenever I see somebody who's living in, you know, a city like Chengdu and, you know, some of the other places where I know it's beautiful, but you don't immediately think of business. You're always like, oh, this guy might be an interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting character, you know? Yeah, sure. Like Chengdu, I guess for me, it's a personal decision. I just really yeah. love it here um, for, for all the reasons I just listed and, and a bunch more. Um, and I'm a, I'm a digital entrepreneur. So location for my business is actually not that important. Um, we do everything online. So I can be where I want to be. I could even run my business outside of China if I, if I wanted. Uh, that would definitely be more difficult, but anywhere in China would work for me um, from the digital perspective. That makes sense. So obviously I reached out to you because I noticed that you are now the new host of the China Business Cast, right? Yeah. China Business Cast, I mentioned this on my my episode that I did on on the show, was the first podcast that I started listening to about business in China. And I think at the time... This was back in like 2013. I was like in my last year of college. I think at the time there was no other real specifically mainland sort of business focused podcast. Um, Michelini had, I think, just launched Global from Asia, but his was more like Hong Kong, you know, banking, finance, which wasn't really on my radar at the time. So, you know, it's, it's, I really like the podcast and it's just interesting to, to have you on. Can you talk about? why you how how did the the transition come about like why did you reach out to Michelini or how did how did you end up um, deciding to take over the podcast yeah so it's actually quite an interesting story just the, the podcast in itself it has quite a bit of history like you said it's it's since 2013 mm-hmm. um, and by that time it was actually run by um, Michelini but uh, it was run by a guy called JP JP, I know. He's from Toronto. Yeah. I actually emailed him that time period. I emailed him telling him, oh, I'm thinking about moving to China. He was very nice. <laughs> All right, awesome. But yeah, that, that was like the beginning days of this podcast. And uh, JP did it for a few years, and then he handed it over to um, to Michelini. And later on, Shlomo got involved. Um, so And then Mike and, and, and Shlomo um, ran the podcast for three years together, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw like the efforts going down. I saw less episodes coming about or less irregular. And then I was already working with uh, Michelini and I was already in contact with Slomo for some other projects and, and um, just connected with the business guys. Like I'm a guy who just reaches out to people and say, Hey, I like your podcast because I was, I was a fan. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to China and I started listening to the podcast. I, uh, I started doing a business here and um, it's, it's a great source of, of knowledge and, and information, right? So um, that's how I connected with uh, Shlomo and I was already doing um, 
my Hong Kong business entity with uh, or Global from Asia through uh, Michelini. So that's how I was connected with him. And I just saw it going down a little bit. And then I reached out. I was like, hey, what, what's, what's going on? Do you need help? Or um, what, are, what are the plans? And then that's a moment we started talking about the future of, uh, of the podcast, basically. Nice. So you, like I was talking to Mike about it as well. And he was saying that we can expect from the podcast, like a, somewhat of a different type of guest because of your location you've met. Like obviously with us, a big focus is uh, entrepreneurs that are in Southern China. Um, so would you say that the, you'll still be making obviously business in China related content, but the type of guests might be a little bit more diverse? Um, I, I, I hope so. Yeah. So I took over the podcast in, um, or we started talking about in, in January. We finished up um, our conversations uh, in, in February. Then I started preparing and I released the first episode on the 1st of March. So it's only just been a, been a few months um, since we've been fully running. I've been fully in charge uh, hosting the, the podcast. I, and I did a few call outs for, I want to, because it's always been Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen. Those are the tier one cities. I know there's there's most of the businesses are happening there, but China is such a massive, big country. There's there's lots of interesting things happening all around the country, right? I, I've been hoping to to get more diverse um, guests on. I'm based in Chengdu, so that's where a lot of my network is. So there will be more guests from Chengdu also coming on. The last episode we did was about female leadership or female entrepreneurship organized by a local organization. I interviewed, this is an episode that has been recorded but has not been released. I went to Xi'an um, and I got a lay down from, from a local entrepreneur there on, on what's going on in Xi'an, um, which is very interesting and eye-opening for me and, and some of the trends they have been seeing because all these cities are, are developing at, at, at rates that are very abnormal for, for anything outside of China. And then getting some of the local trends that are going on there is, is very interesting to me. So it's maybe a mere selfish thing, but I think it's also very interesting for, for the general interest in, in doing business in China. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what you come up with. I, I listened to the, the first episode that you'd released. So good luck with that, man. And uh, I'm sure, and I, I'm, I hope to be on the podcast soon. Give you get your audience a little update on my situation. <laughs> yeah, you're always welcome. It's always awesome to have you on. So going back to your, your business, uh, Red Star Consulting. So the, you're running a digital marketing agency in China, mainly for foreign companies that want to break into the Chinese market, correct? Correct. So I'm, I'm in charge for, for the international side of things. Uh, we also have a domestic site, which uh, does uh, also a lot of cool things, but that's not too much what I keep my focus on. My focus is really helping international businesses get started on the Chinese internet, um, or so, if they're already here growing. So what would you say are the biggest challenges? Because I, I get this question all the time, like even though I deal with the export side of things, I get this question all the time. People say, oh my God, China is such a huge market. And they hear about you know the sales from uh, Taobao and was it 1111 and all that stuff. And people want a piece of the pie. So what, what do you think are the biggest challenges for foreign companies when they try to enter the Chinese market? Sure. So first of all, there's a very clear distinction, I think, between uh, B2B and B2C. 
Yeah. So if we're talk if we're talking B two C, we're talking about Tmall, maybe Jingdong, and, and uh, Taobao could be an option, maybe. But like the the e commerce platforms. Mm-hmm. If if we're talking about B two B, then well, those platforms are not in in sight, right? They're they're not relevant, and then a whole different set of strategies can um, can kick in. So that that's the first distinction uh, I would I would make. One of the challenges I see with both uh, or sides, or maybe on the on the B two B side more, is the people who are like yeah, it's a great opportunities. Uh, the the opportunities are here, but they don't really understand China. And then it becomes our job to to sort of educate them on certain parts. Like for example, a lot of companies they want to have a website in China, but then. No one, their website is not optimized for for mobile, or they don't understand that. Like all the internet in China is is mobile. Um, about one point three, one point four percent is actually desktops, like computer screens. Mm. So th- that's like a big difference between Europe and and the US, where everyone goes to a company and they have a computer. Here, yeah, and it not. seems like it seems like most of the companies that. I mean, a good example would be this uh, coffee shop. I'm trying to remember the name, but it's this new coffee shop that came up in the last two years. They're like a chain. It's like a blue logo. I'll link it up in the show notes. I'll remember. Yeah, you mean Luck and Coffee? Luck and Coffee, exactly. Yeah. From the moment that they launched, they had like a WeChat app and then they eventually had their own app. It's it's always like that. Like you don't come up with a website and stuff like that. Like the people that have good investment behind them usually... Exactly. They already have some sort of app because they know that most people want to use mobile, right? Like, yeah. So it's very much mobile first. It's not even mobile first. It's I would say it's mobile only, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that's a mindset that foreign businesses because that's not like that in their home home markets. So that, that's a real adjustment for them to think. And then, okay, we need to go mobile. Okay, what what kind of options do we have? Do we want to build our own app or? Um, now WeChat mini programs, um, which is what we do quite a bit as well here, is like an alternative or just a WeChat um, official account for your branding. Mm-hmm. So you, you're not you're not you don't build your own platform. You use other platforms that are existing where the audience is, um, and you go from from there. Do you think? Because uh, just going back to your point there about foreign companies when they think about building their own application, like I've looked into it not for my company but for other ideas that I had and it's like you know it could range from fifteen twenty thousand dollars all the way you know to a hundred thousand dollars that just seems like a huge investment do you think the fact that we have things like WeChat in China that allows people to kind of create mini programs or use a WeChat official account it's just a lower barrier of entry and that's why the sort of market has grown so quickly in that in that area yeah, for like, I, I, like as a strategy, I would use like a, a staging strategy or scaffolding. Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe building your own app—that's the last step. Like if you're, um, if you're a platform like um, Meituan or, or Jingdong, yes, you, you you have your own app, but you can get a lot of your services or your solutions online, um, B two C or B two B. Through through other platforms, through WeChat or through Alipay. Mm-hmm. Um, in Alipay, you can also build um, we uh, not WeChat mini programs, but also mini programs, Alipay mini programs. So that's a, it's a lower barrier of entry, like you're saying. You can get to market quicker for lower cost, and then you can 
if if you validated the market, if you have a big enough customer base, then you can look in, into the next step. I would say, so I would yeah, take baby steps and, and validate every every step of the way. Don't make a hundred k investment and oh, bummer, it didn't work out. That, that's just a waste of time and money, right? Mm-hmm. Specifically, when it comes to marketing, what are the? I know this is a very broad question. I'm sure there's a million different differences but what do you think are the biggest misconceptions that foreign companies have about marketing to the chinese uh to the chinese audiences i think it comes a lot of it comes back to to the point i was making first they they don't really understand china culturally geographically uh language wise and and they don't have to be experts in in everything but they i think all the companies that are coming to do business in china their CEO or, or their, their top dog that comes over or is in charge for this project should come over to China for at least a month, be here. And I, I usually recommend them just go, go, go in a metro every morning or every evening in, in, in rush hour or just before rush hour. See how, how your consumers are behaving, how, how the society is very different than from in the West, for example. And I think that will provide them a lot of context for for better understanding the Chinese market from a marketing perspective. You can build your own team, or you can um, use a, a party like us to to build a team for you that are Chinese, that are bilingual. You can work with them, but then you can decide or work on a strategy and put out content that is relevant for your audience. But it starts really with the basics. The same with probably in your business. Understanding the market and understanding your audience or your customer base. That makes sense. So obviously, I mean, I was looking at the services that you provide on your website, and obviously, it's Chinese social media, like you touched on Chinese Chinese marketing, like you touched on um, e-commerce, uh, cloud hosting. Can you explain? I think the one question that a lot of people would have is, what is an ICP license? Yeah. Well, this is this is um, an interesting part of China. Um, in China, everything needs a license, and there's no difference on the internet, or maybe even more so on the internet. So, if you want to have a website, or if you want to have some kind of online service that could be doesn't have to be a website, could be an app where you, if you're storing data online, accessible through some kind of uh, solution. You need an ICP license, and an ICP license stands for Internet Content Provider, and and there's different levels for it, but basically the the first level allows you to have some kind of web property or digital property online in China, um, run by your by yourself. So if you if you go through, you can open a WeChat official account. You don't need that, but if you want to be in control of your own property, do some more advanced things uh, with it then you are required to get one of these um, ICP licenses. And that process is getting quite complicated. Um, There's a lot of information out there on the internet that is very outdated or even incorrect uh, by now uh, because the rules change every three, six months. And and the last big update was in Spring Festival, so Chinese New Year this year, roughly, so February, March. And, and, it's, and it's getting quite complicated. So we provide a consulting solution where we basically help the customers um, acquire a license for them. Is it just getting complicated for foreigners or is it just getting compli- it's more complicated for everybody in general, any company that wants to, to get an ICP? 
it, it is the same complicated for everyone. So there's there's um, for the basic license at least there's no difference between Chinese domestic companies or Chinese uh, woofies or foreign owned entities. There's no difference. The rules are the same. It's just for for woofy companies it is more the rules are the same. The the infrastructure usually set up or they don't have. The, the knowledge in-house where maybe some domestic companies do have and even domestic companies we we serve them as well for the same solution sometimes they don't have the knowledge and they need a bit of support um, to guide them through the whole process um, what documents to create where to stamp uh, where to sign uh, which photos to apply which which extra licenses or business uh, documents to supply so it's it's not more difficult for a woofy from uh, from the rules perspective, but maybe the business cultural aspect of their their, their lack of um, experience and knowledge in that. That makes sense. So yeah, so I think some people that are hearing about ICP for the first time, um, and then you know somebody like myself as well, my website is accessible in China without a without a VPN. I know it's an issue for some people, but it's not for me. Obviously, my my target audience is not. Chinese people or anything like that, Chinese companies, but people might be wondering how long could they operate in China without applying for an ICP? So the, the ICP license is only related to if you have an online property, a web property in China, so maybe a website or um, a backend of an, of an app. If your website is in Hong Kong or the US or Japan, you don't need an ICP license but you are outside of mainland China and then therefore outside the Great Firewall, your website might be slower or, or not loading at all. So for the clients we, we serve, they usually have a website already outside, they're not happy with the performance, and then they want to make a copy of their website in China, and then they need uh, an ICP license, or they want to move some of their digital services in China, like a, a business backend for serving their uh, Chinese customers. For those kind of scenarios, they they want to get an ICP license. Okay, and what would you say the the I guess the budget should be for people that are trying to create uh, you know a, a website in China or get their social media up and, and things like that in China? To, to sure to to add to the last part, um, um, another scenario where you would need an ICP license if you want to run advertising in China. So okay. that you, that usually requires that you have an online presence. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to run Baidu advertising, they always request you to have an ICP license, and that's another common case uh, where we get customers contacting me, "Hey, we want to run ads, but they're asking this help. How do we do that?" Um, but to go back to your question about budget, actually, mm-hmm. one, one more thing. Sorry, before budget. So I'm assuming as well, if you you mentioned making the apps, but if you wanted to receive payments through Alipay and, and WeChat through an official account, you'd have to have an ICP, right? Um, yes. So, and that really, like this, yes, you need an ICP license, but you might need another, you need, so far we have only talked about the basic level of ICP. Okay. Um, if, if you want to receive to online transactions, that's called a commercial ICP license or an ICP gen. Um, so that's the next level, and that's actually where things get tricky because foreign-owned entities cannot apply that license. Or actually, they can apply according to the law, but I don't know any successful case where 
So what is the, I guess, what is the workaround there? If, if, uh, if you're technically allowed to apply for it, but then most, uh, UFIs don't, don't actually get it. How do they go about receiving payments? Yeah. So it, it really depends on what you want to accomplish on, on the Chinese internet. So you need a commercial license if you want to receive payments. So basically you're building a platform where you can receive transactions. And that's actually a very difficult thing to do for, for Chinese businesses and for um, foreign-owned businesses. So when I'm talking about a platform, you have to think about JD, uh, Tmall, Xiaohongshu, uh, all these big platforms. They have acquired licenses and therefore are allowed to run and operate their, their platforms. And they actually have a bunch of more additional licenses to, to do that. So that, that, that's like massive investments if you want to build those kind of platforms. If you just want to run an e-commerce solution, then you usually you, you partner with, with JD or with these other platforms. Or now in, we can help class client support to run e-commerce WeChat mini programs, which is getting more and more popular. And then basically, we operate their, their platform and then we can use our license that we already have acquired um, to to operate a platform on behalf of the client. That's the that's the workaround. So yeah, the the question that I'd asked earlier to go back to that is what what sort of budget can one expect at minimum to to spend if they're trying to enter the Chinese market? I'm sure it depends on what they're trying to do, but there's obviously there must be a range of of what people should expect to spend, right? Sure. So if, if we're talking uh, maybe e-commerce, that, that's usually a, a pretty good way. It's like that's one option where, where it got a lot of interest. So e-commerce to, to get started and launching, for example, WeChat mini program, just for the logistics, the licenses and, and the technology setup is between, let's say, 40 and, and 100,000 RMB on a yearly basis. It's probably closer to the, to the 40,000. In the initial stage, depends on how big you want to go. Okay, that makes sense. And then another thing I was thinking about with ads is you touched on Baidu ads before, and I'm right now uh, in the process of we've played around with Facebook ads in the past, but right now we're doing a, a, a heavy focus on YouTube ads. So that just makes me question what the differences would be if I was running Baidu ads and and the costs as well around that. So, so anything marketing in China is actually quite expensive, um, and and that's just because the market is so big here. The amount of impressions you can generate, or the, the amount of engagement you can generate in such a short amount of time, um, is, is is so so grand that all these platforms, Baidu, um, Youku, as a video platform, all the other platforms on, on WeChat, for example, their minimum buy-in is is really high. So, for example, um, an ad on, on WeChat uh, within, the, within the timeline, within the moments, starts at minimum. The cheapest option is 50,000 RMB, I think, or something. Mm. And then, then you have the minimum amount of exposure that you can get. You got to imagine like, <laughs> like these, these McDonald's or Coca-Cola or, or uh, all these fancy Louis Vuitton sponsoring ads. That's millions and millions of RMB that they're spending on, on ad spend just for a single ad in, in an app like that. But you, you get exposure to 600 million people. So the, the scale puts the minimum buy-in quite high in China. 
I think a lot of people will think it would be cheaper than what, what it is, right? Like, uh, I'm pretty sure you probably have customers who can't believe the the prices from time to time when they contact you. Exactly. And, and Baidu is, isn't that high, but a minimum start on, on Baidu, I'd say, is 10 to 20,000 RMB. Um, below that, Baidu doesn't even want to onboard you as, a, as, a, as an advertising account, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's not interesting enough. It's too much work for them, and they can find other people. <laughs> that, that's basically how it works. Uh, that I, you know, I just find it, it's funny because I just think that the climate of China right now is like they're just they've made so much money and they're continuing to make money, and everybody wants like a lot of foreign businesses want to come into China, and I feel like the government is the same and the businesses are the same. They're just kind of like, yeah, you know. If you want to come and work with us, you have to do it our way. You know, they're not they're not yeah. bending over any anymore for foreigners. <laughs> for for sure, and it's very different from like you, you said, Google Ads or Facebook Ads. You, you can literally start with like what fifty dollars or ten bucks, and you could start with that and then scale from there if it works. Here, here you gotta put quite a bit of money up front, and then. Um, yeah, I mean, literally, that's what that's that's what we're doing with our YouTube ads. Is we started out on like ten dollars a day, and then we're trying to scale out from there because we're just testing and seeing what works. And then when we find something that works, then we will uh, increase the budget. But you know, uh, of course, of course, yeah. and and here it works the same way, but just with higher numbers, with higher minimums. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what sort of uh, legal and compliance issues should one look out for when when um, working on the internet in China. Um, one thing that is that is getting more uh, urgent, um, and there's not enough awareness around it, is I think the the cybersecurity uh, legislation or the the regulations that have been coming out over the last year. So there's a whole new set of of regulations out about cybersecurity. It it's not really enforced just yet. They will start doing that more strictly from what they announced from January first, twenty twenty. But basically, it follows very roughly the same kind of guidelines that have been implemented in Europe in the GDRP um, the previous years, with the addition that data in China. So if you have any data about Chinese customers, needs to stay in China. And there are exceptions to that. So you have to go through a whole process to basically apply or get permission to take the data that you have generated about customers, about your business in China, and then transfer it to maybe your um, non-Chinese business entity or your your mother company. So if you're a US-based company originally, and you have your subsidiary in China that has generated data, and you want that customer data to be available in the US, you need to go to a regulation or to a process to to get that data available in the U.S. Basically, and why do you think they're implementing this kind of regulation? Well, China is is, is very it's, it's been strong for many years in in putting up a border, right? So the, the Great Firewall, um, and this mm-hmm. is just another step in that. China is it's it's not part of the internet almost anymore. It's 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 an internet in itself. And they're just making the border higher and higher, and they want to protect themselves from, for for good or for bad or whatever reasons there might be behind that, um, from the rest of the internet. Um, and this is just a direction that China is going, and I don't see that changing anytime soon, especially on on the internet, on the data information side. I want to ask about 
some of like more of the, I guess the general climate when it, when it comes to doing business online in, in China, do you find that the amount of customers is increasing on your side? Lots, a lot more foreign companies trying to come into China. And is there like a specific, I guess, a specific type of company or, or, or client that you usually work with? Um, I feel it is increasing. Um, I, I can't say that is specifically increasing for me or for for just the whole market. But I have a feeling it is um, there is growth in the whole market from foreign companies wanting to enter China. My company has been growing as well, so like I, I, I can't really tolerate um, that the growth is not just related to to us growing and therefore getting more customers. But in in I see a trend of more companies coming. And then these are from from super diverse. From we have customers from from North America, U.S., Canada to to Europe, to Australia, to Japan, to Thailand. Um, I, I still see a lot of U.S. Uh, companies um, contacting me and, and becoming clients, um, even though the trade war is a thing. But yeah, I, I still see a lot of growth from there as well. Well, how how do they find you? How how are they? Is it word of mouth or you you have? some sort of, I guess, marketing strategy around that? Well, to, to take it a little bit back to, to what we're talking about, the China Business Gas, my podcast as well. So my marketing strategy is, um, I, we just have a website where we're findable. Um, so organic search around certain topics, for example, ICP licenses, that's, that's always a good way for me to get um, customers to find me because I've written uh, quite a bit about that. Then I have my personal brand, just being on LinkedIn that works. I do the podcast. Um, so yeah, a lot of personal branding, and I'm not really hard into the to the advertising uh, approach. So yeah, so somewhat of a similar approach to me, except I haven't done much blogging. Uh, mostly, it's mostly been the podcast and personal brand. Um, what were some of your earliest struggles when you first came to China, business wise, and how did you overcome them? I don't. Know, I, I still haven't overcome everything. Um, my Chinese is half decent. It's been getting better. But it's still, oh, it's always could always be better, right? Um, and that's pretty much for every foreigner that that lives in China, except a, a very select few exceptions. Um, so that's still always on on my bucket list to to get that better. Especially now, I'm getting more into like Chinese local domestic business deals, and then I'm really starting to um, sometimes struggle with with following along. And, and uh, it would be great if I had more Chinese skills. Well, you said you have you focus more on the international side. You you have uh, a partner true, who focuses true. on the Chinese side of, of the business. Or? That's that's very true. But like, I get invited to to business dinners, and then like sometimes I feel like maybe uh, I'm just the foreign face who sits there and understands <laughs> only half of what's going on. But that, that would be that would be nice. Um, I've, I've, I I you know I experience that quite a lot. <laughs> Yeah, no, so I completely understand what you're talking about. I have I have this video up on YouTube um, when I, I went up to a factory it was like two years ago, and they took me out to a dinner, and it was like the boss's friends and family and whatever. And at some stage, it was just like I feel like they were just kind of let's get the foreigner drunk and then let's do weird things <laughs> to the foreigner. So there's is a clip of me hugging like two random. Chinese guys, they told me it was tradition or something, and I had to hug them and drink like 
basically drink my glass while hugging the guy. Yeah, so it was just like I've definitely been the the, the token foreigner in the room. Maybe that's a Guangzhou tradition or, or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, oh, it was it was in it was in Nantong, it was in Jiangsu Province. <laughs> okay, well, but yeah, like, it's part of one of the reasons why I came to China as well, right? So adventure, um, very different from what I'm used to. People yeah. always ask me, "Oh, why why you're like I, I like the Netherlands where I'm from. I like Europe, but it's it's so stable. There's like once you're settled there, there's like no ups and downs. And, and here in China, there's plenty of, of downs at, at certain days, but the highs are so much higher. And then in general, it makes me so much happier to be here than, or very fulfilling to be here and experiencing the things I, I get to experience, which which are quite interesting. For sure. So in terms of, from a business standpoint, what is the proudest, uh, what is your proudest moment uh, entrepreneurially in, in China? You keep asking difficult questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a pretty feel, uh, feel free. I, feel free to take some for the for the China business guys, man. <laughs> yeah, I like. I don't like to show off. I like, I'm, I'm pretty high, pretty casual guy. So I don't know what would be my proudest moment. Um, I, I'm just happy with with the things with the customers we have, the the things we do. Um, I guess the proudest thing uh, I am is like the, the future I'm building. So we're working on some pretty big things coming toward like for the future. Just besides the digital things that we've been talking about, there there are some pretty big things coming over the next next year, and and that makes me really exciting. And I'll be proud once we pull if we pull twenty five percent off of of the grand plan. Then I'd be very happy and I'd be very proud on that. So. Okay, I'm gonna jump into the sort of closing questions. Uh, they'll be a little bit more personal. So, where do you see yourself? I guess in the next three to five years, from a personal development, business development standpoint. Well, I guess that that hooks into what I just said. So, three to five years. That those are some of the big things we're building. If I take it more to a personal kind of side, I I don't know. I'm I'm into. The, the fire movement, or that's the name what they give it. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it stands for no. Um, so basically, financial independence, retire early. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm a strong believer of becoming financially independent. So that that means for me that means having sources of passive income. Like I, I love working, and, and that's like active income. But I don't plan to be working till I'm seventy years old. At least not for for money, where most people around the world they have a job and they have to have to work to to eat basically, right? And they they, yeah, they barely no they barely they barely save something for for their for their pension for their retirement. Um, I love working, but I want to have my choice. I don't want to work because I I need money to work, uh, but I want to work on projects that I like. Maybe they still earn me money. Maybe they they cost me money. But if I'm passionate about that, I want to be able to do that. So right now we're very much focused on on, on money, on, on the money making creation war, uh, mode, and then we're we're building a bit of capital. We're reinvesting that in all kinds of things. So we're we're starting to generate some passive income just for myself. Um, so the the first goal is to to have three thousand uh, euros. I'm from from Holland, so I calculate in euros and not so much uh, in renminbi's. Even though I live here, on a monthly basis, that is just passive income. I don't have to do anything. Then the second part would be the second goal would be five thousand euros, and, and the final goal, uh, ten thousand euros a month. And then I have enough for 
because I, I don't want to be a billionaire. That, that's just nonsense as well. <laughs> if I have enough money to, to have a great life, like 10K euro, 100, 120 grand um, euro or dollar a year, that, that, that is more than sufficient. You can do it for a half um, to have a happy life with me and my family. And so that's where I'm working towards too. So in that situation, do you see yourself like being in China long-term living in China or do you see yourself being in maybe other places in Southeast Asia or back in Europe? Uh, that, that's a great question. Um, I don't know the answer yet. Um, we've been talking with my, I've been talking with my wife. Um, I see myself being here for the next, I, I've set a goal for myself to be financially independent. Like that's my definition of financially independent. That's different for everyone. Uh, but I, I plan to be when I'm 45 years old. And that's also a time where, where my daughter starts going to uh, middle school, roughly, uh, primary, just between primary and middle school. And then maybe we might relocate to, to back to Holland or somewhere else in, in Europe. I really like Estonia. Um, and, and Malaysia is also very interesting to me right now. That's cool, man. We have... Uh, apart from Europe, because I mean, I've I haven't I haven't traveled enough to know, haven't traveled enough in Europe to know uh, where I would want to live or stay or something like that. But we have similar goals, at least financially, from a passive income standpoint. So um, I, I hadn't heard of the fire movement. It seems like pretty much a cousin of the you know four hour work week you know sort of uh, tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe f- yeah, like that that Tim Ferriss from the four hour work week is like sort of part of this, this whole movement and, and mm. um, investing and, and um, in investment in, in a lot of things. So right now I'm investing my time and my my, my energy in, in businesses that will later on generate that passive income for me in the in the long run. And then it doesn't mean that once I'm financially independent and once I have the opportunity to retire that I go sit on my couch in the living room the whole day and do nothing, right? That, yeah. would, that would bore me to death, but I have a choice of what I want to do. Do I want to travel? Do I want to take um, some time off? Do I want to spend time with my daughter? Um, do I want to build a new business? It's, it's my choice or volunteer um, on some kind of cost. And it becomes my choice without financial pressure. That makes sense. So what is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results in business in China? I, I guess just just start, just do it. That, that's also my philosophy. Um, I see a lot of people talking about wanting to be an entrepreneur or doing something or changing to their life, but they're actually not doing anything about it. It's like, oh, I'm not happy with my job. Then go find something else but, or spend two hours on your own business or, or, or side hustle or whatever. But most people, in my opinion, are quite lazy and content with their, with their life. So just put two hours more work in every day. I can't believe that you are so busy that you don't have two hours to spend on something. <laughs> no, I, I, I 100% agree. Because, exactly. you know, Gary Vee always talks about if you have a nine to five, then you need to start working your six to two o'clock in the mornings, you know? Um, the final question is, uh, what are three books, podcasts, or blogs would you recommend people read or listen to to understand you better? Uh, so I would recommend some um, some sources about the, the fire movement just because I, I'm, I'm quite passionate about it. One is called, um, and it's actually a good link back to um, the China Business Cast. So Slow Mo, the, the previous host of the Business Cast, has a financial independence uh, blog um, and has been working on that as well. So that would be one. 
Um, Gary V, like you've mentioned already, I think that's a great source of inspiration and in some of the mindset that I admire and try to to act upon us and myself. And the third one, let's keep it at two for now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so um, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? No, I think we, we covered a lot from 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 business to personal to 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 the podcast, uh, which is which is in between there. Um, no, I think it's been great. Thanks, man. So if people want to reach out to you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, the easiest way is on my LinkedIn for the, the non-Chinese listeners. Um, and if you are on WeChat, we have my WeChat official accounts personally and the, and the company. And also for the podcast, for the China Business Guest, we also have a WeChat official account. And we'll, we'll link those up in the show notes on our website. Um, John, thanks for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Uh, very interesting didn't know that it was so complicated to register uh, you know, a website in China and, and work online in China. But I should have known because we went through the process of registering our business uh, two years ago in mainland and there was a lot of, uh, a lot of um, red tape to, to get exactly. past. Exactly. Uh, in, in China, everything is possible, but it takes time and determination. But at the end, it's, it's all possible and doable. Just, uh, just go for it. Take action. Awesome. And if you guys want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefinancial.com. Um, if you want to check out the show notes, as I mentioned, that's sourcefinancial.com slash made in China. And obviously the YouTube channel is sourcefinancial, all one word. And we will see you guys next week. Things you shouldn't know. I heard you flexing on them, yeah. You want to mix it up. But fuck it, baby, no regret. And never switch it up two times Last night you showed me all the ratchet shit that you learned I showed her how to treat a Lambo like a newborn And dancing naked on a table, that's the true girl It was a vibe if you wanna know I heard you got too late last night Damn, yeah. Mixing purple with your purple sprite